Zach, I have a privilege of being one of the pastors here at Recovery House of Worship. Um, as you've already noticed from being in our midst, and as, as, I've, as I've said, as I've led our times of stillness, which Chris did so well today, we are a hot mess pursuing Jesus together. So if you are dealing with stuff, if you are struggling, if you are worried, if you are anxious, if you are a hot mess, you are in good company today. You are in good company because we are pursuing a patient, loving, gentle, kind all-loving, consuming Jesus who wants a relationship with us. And so a couple of things again. What we do on Sunday, as Pastor Edwin so t- told us as we started the services, every part of this service is meant to be a continuation of what we experience the rest of the week. This refreshes us and encourages us and reminds us of the kind of life, the kinds of things that we should be doing regularly to stir and grow our relationship with Jesus, Right? And so that includes the way we study scripture. So in a minute, we're going to look at the scriptures together and being reminded again that the way in which we're studying it today should be in some ways the ways that we're studying through the week, realizing that there's opportunity for us to dig into God's word and see what he has to say to us in the day-to-day. As a reminder, there's some youth in the meeting today. So if you are not on my texts, you need to be reminded because most of our youth are down in uh, the Jersey Shore for retreat with... Folks from Boston, it was weird, it's a weird thing. So it's Boston versus New York, the uh, crew, New York versus crew Boston. So it'll be some interesting stories with our youth when they come back. But particularly for our youth, if you want to be involved in those kinds of events, make sure you see me afterwards. A text message goes out from me every day with a scripture encouragement and also a reminder about ways you can be involved beyond our Sunday service. But we also have a Bible study. Our youth are the future of our church. Right, And so we did make sure we see them, honor them, and include them in what's happening in the life of our church. Well, again, I've mentioned this a number of times. Um, grew up uh, 90s, 80s, 90s, hip-hop head, right? So I'm always, things always come to mind when I think about sermons and ideas. And so this one was particularly something that just was prompted in terms of how I thought about the sermon today. But as we think about what's happening in our city, this is not new. Right? So in 1990, gun violence and gang violence had been pervading South Central Los Angeles. Right? Daily in the news, there were stories of bloods and crips and gang violence that was breaking out, particularly in South Central Los Angeles. And people were getting fed up. They were calling out. They were bugging out. They were yelling and screaming and calling for change. And all these things needed to happen to make sure that they saw a different result in these neighborhoods in South Central Los Angeles. Reports of shootings were making the news daily. Fear, anger, outcries for change. Sounds familiar, right? It sounds familiar. And in the midst of this, a high-ranking gang member named Michael Concepcion organized some of the biggest rap stars to put together a Grammy-winning song, which we, some of us will know as, We're All in the Same Gang. Some of you know the song. If you don't, look it up afterwards. It's an incredible song because it's, it's an organization of some of the largest rap stars on the West Coast gathering together with one purpose, that to remind people in South Central Los Angeles that it didn't matter what neighborhood you were from or what colors you wore, that we were all in the same gang. We were all in the same gang. You can get at me later well, who you think had the greatest verse in that song. I have my opinion, but you can get at me later with that one. The message that we are not defined or divided by the colors we wear, the color of our skin, the money in our bank, the neighborhood we grew up in or live in is as needed today as it was then. This sermon is part of a series of teachings that I'm bringing to our Justice and Mercy team as we think about this question. 
What kind of people do we need to become to do the work that God is inviting us to? What kind of people do we need to become to do the kind of work that God's inviting us to? Because as we think about the work of justice, justice is both an internal work and an external work. It's an internal work as we are changed by God and then invited by God to be change agents in the places that he puts us. It's both. And so we remember that this is an invitation for us to be a more just church. To be a more just church. And so today we continue in this series that I'll be going through as we drop in through these opportunities of what it means for us to be a just church. And so the sermon title is, We're All in the Same Gang. We're all in the same gang. Or another way of thinking about it is a just church is a church that learns to be family and invite people to the family. The just church is a church that learns to be family and invites people into the family. But here's the reality, Ken. And as Pastor Edwin and I talk about sermon prep, it's so important we build attention because you can come into the service and check a box. I've been to church. I've done my thing. Right? And so there's a tension that always we need to live with as we come into this space. And the tension for us today is this, because here's the thing. It's possible for us to be at church and not be in the church. It's possible for us to be at church and not be in the church. Or another way of thinking about it, it's possible for us to be at church and not be the church. It's possible for us to be at church and not be the church. Or, if you like to think about it from the song that I talked about, it's possible for us to know the song and not be the song. We're all in the same gang, right? I know that song. It's possible for us to know the song and not be the song. We're about being the song. We're all in the same gang. So how do we do that? A just church is about learning to be family and invite people to the family. And so we're going to stand as we look at one verse. I think it's in... Three different translations should be on the screen for us. I invite to stand because if nothing else, if, if, if nothing else sinks in from today, here's the reality. As we interact, as we hear God's word, God has spoken. God has spoken. And so our verse today is from Romans 12, verse 10. And this is, uh, are we have, do we have the three translations or just the one? Three? Okay, so these, I'm going to read the one verse from three translations again because, again, in the, ver, in the way of studying Scripture, there's things that we draw out that we'll talk about that will help us understand what God's trying to point out today. So this is Romans 12, verse 10. First it says, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Second one, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Finally, Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So how do we learn to be a family like this? Uh, there was a, there's a great Dahadi Lewis who leads trainings and is a lead pastor of Blueprint Church in Atlanta, particularly training up pastors for urban church planting and development. Talks about this way. He says that we don't treat the church as a family. The church is a family. So regardless of what you think about the church, the church is a family. As you talk about the way the scriptures unfolds, again, God is Father, Jesus is Son. So all the dynamics that exist about how we think about the church, the church is family. So how do we move in understanding what that means for us? 
How do we think about what it means for us to join in this kind of fellowship, this kind of encouragement? Well, it means a couple of things. As we look at Romans 12, the first, it means we commit to each other. We commit to each other. Right? As you look at the text, it says, be devoted to one another in love. NIV. Be committed, devoted to one another. This means we learn to work it out, right? Again, as you know me, as you get to know me, you'll, uh, what's back in my mind is Chuck D saying, brother's going to work it out, right? So again, another one. But it's this understanding of we're going to work it out. To be a family means we're going to work it out. We don't bounce, we don't bail, we don't cancel. We commit to working it out with one another. When a brother or sister bothers us, annoys us, does something we don't like, even hurts us, we don't give up on them, we don't bounce, we don't leave, we don't retaliate, we commit to fixing the issue. Now again, remember what it says in the scripture. We devoted to one another in love. Now love, again, we think of as a feeling. That's what we're told in, in, in society. We're told in culture that love is a feeling. No, love is a commitment. It's an action. It's a set of commitments that we participate in together. Being the family of God is about being committed to working it out. It's not cracking back. It's not cutting down. It's not getting even. It's not shutting them out. In love, it's devoting ourselves to squashing beefs. Not brewing them. Right? It's about learning to walk out relationships in love because, again, here's the reality. As I've said this again and again, broken record, you'll hear this again and again from me, it's this, right? We have no business offering reconciliation and hope to the world out there if we can't do it in here. We have no business offering the world, the hope of the world, reconciliation, hope and redemption forgiveness if we can't do that in here. When someone bugs out on us in this space, we just go to another church. Or we just stop coming to church. We're not demonstrating the kind of familial love that we know we want and that the world needs. Being the family of God is about being committed to working it out. Maybe this means involving another brother and sister because we can't work it out together. It's involving another friend, another believer to help figure out how we can build on building bridges instead of building walls. Fixing the issue, working it out, it means being devoted, not bailing, not canceling, not leaving. It also means not giving up on one another, right? I, I tried, you know, I, I, I've done this before, I've had this conversation before, we've been here before, we've talked about this before, they've done this before, right? I've, I've said this before, we've, you know, all those things, right? I've tried all that, right? Now again, pausing, and I'll say this a number of times, if we get to that place, we lose sight of the grace of God. A pastor years ago, Dave Harvey, in a, in a training I was in, <laughs> told me, when I'm tempted to say that to my kids, how many times have I had to tell you? God could say that. God could say that and could say it in perfection and have the number. 
How many times? Mm. Let me count the ways. But he does it because he's a God of grace. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So if we're going to be family, we have to learn to not give up on each other, to not cancel each other, to not dismiss, to not assume, to not bail, to not leave. Now again, two things again I want us to remember in this. One, this is not to dismiss that people hurt us. When we are committed to working it out to be devoted to one another in love, again, the way that the scriptures define love is not to just pretend like things didn't happen. One of the texts that I've been reading, we've been reading through our justice team, uh, going through the book of John, right? And in one of the sections of scripture, Jesus interacts with this woman who's basically pushed in front of him, and all the people in front of her saying, this woman should be stoned because she's been caught in the act of adultery. What say you, Jesus? Because they're trying to test him. And one by one, Jesus basically says, whoever has the first, whoever has without sin can cast the first stone. Right now it's like, okay, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. But this does not say, because Jesus says, now we lose sight of this at the end of the text, Jesus tells this woman, is no one here to condemn you? And then he says, neither do I. And then he says, go and leave your life of sin. He's not dismissing in that moment that this woman has issues that have to be dealt with in her life. He's not dismissing that. But he's working it out in love with her. I'm not condemning you. I'm calling you to change in reference to what I've offered you now. But that's not to say that there's not change that needs to happen. In love. We might be in this church and someone might have deeply hurt us, sinned against us. This attitude of love and, and devoting to one another is not to dismiss that someone might have seriously hurt us, but it's not about canceling, dismissing, rejecting, assuming, retaliating, gossiping. None of those things bring about reconciliation and unity in the church. Secondly, to think about this, because when we say we're devoted to one another, okay? So first we recognize that this means that we have to understand that there's real hurts that people experience. The second is, if we are devoted and committed to one another, right? If a public housing situation is going on in our news, that means it's affecting people in our church, Right? If people are without heat and hot water in certain public housing residences in our church, I bet you, I can pretty much guarantee you that it's affecting people in our church. If people are coming at homeless folks and saying they're the, bl- they're the reason that there's an increase in crime on the subway, you're talking about our congregants. You're talking about our congregants. Every community board meeting I'm in, precinct meeting I'm at, whenever someone says the reason there's an increase in crime is because there's an increase in homelessness, I'll ask them, did you ask that person if they were homeless when they, when they were holding up that person? Did you ask them their housing situation? Do you know? Do you know? Because, again, we know, and I'm going to come to this in a minute, that mental health, addiction, all the things that are affecting what has been an increase in crime is not just because of people's housing situation. There's a lot of other things that have accelerated crime in our city. But if someone is mistreating 
or assuming about a homeless person. If we are devoted to one another, what you're saying is you're talking about one of my brothers and sisters. The woman who talked about this losing four family members to fentanyl. We have a meeting on Fridays here. We have a meeting here on Fridays. If we are committed to being a church of reaching people who are in recovery and their families, we should be reaching out and letting people know, one, that there's a meeting here on Fridays, and two, that there's a church that loves them here on Sundays. There are thousands of people dying of overdoses in this city and in this country. I I share this with the guys. the, The statistics have not come out in New York yet. In 2021... More people died of overdoses in San Francisco than of COVID. More people in San Francisco in 2021 died of overdoses than of COVID. And if you know what's going on in San Francisco, you know it's a lot like what's going on here. The rich-poor divide has gone up. Housing struggles exist right? There's all sorts of racial bias and racial attacks that are going on, particularly in Asian brothers and sisters there. And so we recognize it's a mirror of what's happening here. So if we are saying that there are people in the streets dying of overdoses in the streets of Brooklyn and in New York, what we're saying is brothers and sisters are dying. We are devoted to one another in love. And now, the last piece of this is, again, and, I, and this relates to kind of what I said earlier, right? So to be devoted to one another in love. So if we're going to devote ourselves to one another and working it out to make room for these conversations, to not give up on one another, the, the conversation ensues again. Someone will say, but you don't understand what they're like. You don't understand what they did. You don't understand. You don't understand what it's like to, to, to want to care for a homeless person when they're, when they're in this situation. I, then, then educate me. Then educate me. You don't understand what it's like to try and care for an addict as they're, you know, going in and out of treatment, going in and out of detox, going in and out of their step work. You don't understand. Then educate me. Then educate me. When we think we don't understand, what we need to understand is is our responsibility is to lean in, to be devoted, to be devoted to understanding, to be devoted to understanding. So again, if we are going to be this kind of church that is family, it's going to require, this is what I say, in every conversation about discipleship, I will inevitably say something like this, right? Because again, some of us are probably thinking this at this point. You're asking me to do the impossible. And here's what I'm saying. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Now we're getting it. Because, here's what I tell you, everybody, If following Jesus was possible without the power of God, then Jesus didn't have to die. If following Jesus was possible, he would have just given us a textbook and said, have fun with this. He gave us his life because he knew that it required power that we don't have. Hearts and minds that we don't have. Strength that we don't have. This kind of being devoted to one another requires transformation internally. It requires that we are a different person. So this is what God is inviting us to. If we're going to be a family all in the same gang, it's going to require transformation on the inside. 
committed to one another in this. So the question again is, for us, application, specifically again, who are we tempted to give up on? Who have we given up on? Who do I need to work it out with today? Because again, the world is watching. This is what we all long for. What we all long for is belonging and acceptance. That's what we all want. I want to know that I belong and that I'm welcome, that I'm accepted. That's what we all want. That requires that we do the work internally to see the ways that God is inviting me to be the kind of person that makes that kind of relationship possible. We are committed to one another. But secondly, again, looking back at the verse, it says, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves. Or, as the New Living Translation says, take delight in honoring each other. Take delight in honoring each other. If we're going to be the kind of family that God is inviting us to, the just church that is family, we're going to look for the good in one another. We're going to look for the good in one another. This requires work. It requires zero work to point out the bad. Zero. Zero effort. Right? We, this is, we're good at this. Right? We're good at this. We're good at pointing out what's wrong. Right? It, it, you get into a conversation with a human being, right? and five minutes in, there's complaining happening on some level about something. We're good at It's easy to point out what's wrong. It requires the grace of God to point out what's possible. It requires the grace of God to point out what's possible, right? As I tell our Justice Mercy team, right? If you're coming at me with, ah, like that, and you're not ready to have a conversation about how you want to be part of the solution, we're not ready to have the conversation. Because we have to be part of that solution, meaning two things. One, that the solution is out there. Two, that you might have the gifts that are actually possible to bring that along. Right? You have solutions. You have ideas. You have capacities that can help us be the change in that space. Right? Point out what's good. Right? I have ideas. I have perspectives. I have suggestions. We look for the good. Because it's easy for us to crack back. It's easy for us to talk down. It's easy for us to be critical. It requires the power of God to be people who point out the good. Right? Because, again, it just sounds so much better, right? I think about it this in this way. I remember a couple of years ago, my daughter was in an after-school program, and some, you know, well-meaning after-school um, leader decided to teach my daughter about your mama jokes, right? <laughs> and so I was like, where did you learn this? And she's like, oh, my after-school leader was talking to me about your mama jokes. And we all laughed. I like a good joke. I, like, I recognize we all like a good joke, but... The, the yo mama jokes is always trying to make your mama look worse than the other yo mama, right? It's always trying to be the, the worst joke, right? Cracking on your mama, worse and worse and worse, right? That's funny, and that's what we want. We like to crack on folks. We like to cut them down, right? It requires effort and work to see the good in someone, right? Like, how many yo mama so good jokes do you see, right? You don't hear that. <laughs> Yo mama cooking is so good that, like, I mean, you don't hear that kind of talk conversation. It just, your mama hospitality is so good that you just don't hear that. You don't hear that, right? Maybe just me. Maybe just me. We have to commit to seeing the good, to seeing the good. 
And this requires grace from God to point out good, to take delight, to search it out, to point it out, to hunt for it, to discover it. Because again here, the NIV translation again, what, and what, what stunts that? What mutes it? Look, right? NIV. Honor one another above yourselves. Here's the reason that we have a hard time honoring someone else because I want the honor. Because I want the honor. I want to be the one that thought of the idea. I want to be the one that's the leader. I want to be the one that gets the recognition. What keeps us from seeing the good in others is I want the good to be pointed at me. I want what's good for me. And so again, just as a simple reminder about how this can work, yesterday, um, and <laughs> the last few weeks of the pantry have been a little wild. And we've had people cutting the line, and there's folks that show up at 6.30 in the morning on Saturday. 6.30 in the morning on Saturday to be here, right? And they have their carts here, and they're getting in line and ready. But there's other folks that are not in the line because they bring their carts to hold the spot in line for someone else. Right? And then it creates all sorts, I mean, some of you know, it creates all sorts of drama. So a few of the volunteers said, you know what we should do? As soon as people get here, we should get them the tickets outside so they can give them their ticket numbers outside. So in preparation, we already know what their number is. So when you come in, we don't have people trying to cut the line because their number's already given outside. Right? So I told folks that this was going to happen yesterday, and we did it. Sylvia, who, I don't know if Sylvia's here, but Sylvia and a couple of volunteers um, decided to do that, right, in anticipation. And, and people said, hey, that's a good idea. And I was quick to point out that wasn't my idea. It was the idea of, of some of the volunteers that had already communicated that, that would be a more effective way to do this, right? Now, I could have just said thank you and been done with it, right? Of course it's a good idea, right? Of course I thought that's a good idea, right? We don't want to honor others because we like getting the praise. We like getting the praise. But if we learn to give the praise, we understand that we're joining God in doing something bigger than just something for me. Right. So again, what kind of people do we need to become? We need to become people that are out in the spaces, out in the world that are saying, you know what I'm doing? I'm not just going to focus on a broken police system or a broken jail system or a broken housing system or broken whatever. I'm also going to say, here's what's possible. Here's the people that are doing work in these spaces that can actually see change happen. Brownsville, two months, went through a justice organization where they had no police officers involved in shootings because they had violence disruptors through Center for Court Innovations, and they saw zero shootings for two weeks. Zero. It's possible. So we bring out what's possible, what's encouraging, show the work. We are a family that's committed to not being critical, but that makes room for encouragement. A culture of honor. A culture of honor. And here's the, other, here's the last part of this, why this is so important. Because not only is it important for us not to crack back and to talk down and to dismiss and gossip, not only does that just perpetuate, not only does that make room for more of that, but here's the reality. We have an internal dialogue that says, I'm nothing, I'm worthless, I'm broken, I'm not going to change. And so when we 
promote a culture of encouragement that say, hey, all these things might be a mess over here, but you know what I saw? This, great encouragement, great work, this area that was changing. It gives people courage to keep going. To keep going. To keep going. And so we recognize again, this work has to be about us having a different agenda. The agenda is not just to call out what's broken, but to call out what's possible. To be people of encouragement, to create a culture of encouragement in the world. And so the last piece, as I close, is this. And this relates to the songs we were singing. And again, this is why I pointed out this idea of God doing things. Okay? Because some of us will say, there's so much broken. So much is not working in this world, right? And they'll say, where is God? Where is God in our housing situation? Where is God in our poverty alleviation? Where is God? Where is God? And all this stuff. And the question that God has for us is this, right? This is, this is, this verse stops me on my tracks regularly, right? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, it says this. So we are Christ's ambassadors God making his appeal through us. So when people say, where is God in the midst of all this brokenness, the question I have to ask myself is, where am I? Because the question I have to ask myself, the last thing is, I need to model the change I want to see. I need to model the change I want to see. Because when God answers prayer, here's the reality. In many of the answers to prayer that you could be reminded of in that moment, someone was the answer to that prayer. When your bank account didn't have the money, someone put the money in your hand. When you felt alone, someone texted, emailed, called you. When you thought you couldn't get to a meeting, someone reached out to you. When you thought you couldn't take the next step in your recovery, someone took you aside and encouraged you. We model the change we want to see. We model the change. Because again, look at the way it's described in this Christian Standard Version. We outdo each other. We outdo each other. I want to outdo each other in showing kindness, in showing mercy, in showing forgiveness. I want to outdo because why? I want more of this and more of this and more of this. I want it to be an overflow where it spills out into the streets of our, of our city. Where people see that we are a forgiving, loving, welcoming, accepting, kind, patient, generous community. Because we're practicing it in here. We're practicing it in here. We model the change. Am I trying to outdo others in being that kind of person? Not to get glory, but to extend his glory. I'm not doing these things so people look at me. I'm looking, I'm doing all these things so people can say, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Because as the song we talked about before, why would he choose me? I'm not even sure. But here's what I do know. He uses crooked sticks to make paths straight. He uses crooked sticks to make his path straight. So we show honor. We commit to one another. We model the change. We model the change. Now again, it sounds like an impossibility. But we close with this. As you came in, you had a little cup. Okay. So we transition to, com- to communion. 
And again, this is why we talk about this idea of we're all in the same gang and we are family. And so the two things, again, this idea of gang and this idea of family, right? You know why we're all in the same gang? Because we're covered by the same blood. Let me say it again. You know why we're all in the same gang? Because we're covered by the same blood. Jesus. Jesus. And so we recognize again, that's why we're in this together. Because we're covered by that forgiving, welcoming, grace-filled love of Jesus as he poured out his blood for us. And why we are family is because Jesus is our brother. And he invited us to the table. So that God is no longer distant and unknowable, but now as Jesus taught us how to pray, which would have been scandalous, just stop for a minute to understand how we read our scriptures. When Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and the first words out of his mouth are, our Father, it would have been scandalous to the hearer. Because he's making a point that the God who is out there becomes your Father when you enter into relationship with me. Your Father. Abba, who you can ask of and go to the table with, enjoy a meal with, call on, look to. And so how can we do this? How can we be this kind of family that loves and extends this kind of kindness and forgiveness and welcome, that commits to one another, looks for encouragement? Because Jesus does this for us. He invites us into the family. Remember I said we're a hot mess of pursuing Jesus together? He still, knowing our hot mess, knowing our limitations, knowing our struggles, knowing our sins, says, pull up a chair at this table. Pull up a chair at this table and dine with me by remembering what I've done for you. That's what this table's about. That's what this table's about. And so what I'm going to have us do, I think we have the re reading up on the screen. We're going to take a moment. We're going to read this over, read this together as a way to remember what we're trying to do together. So I invite you to stand. And again, remembering that this, this, this little cup and this wafer that I also agree with Edwin, this is not the ideal, but we're in COVID. So it's not the ideal, but we're in COVID. So is a reminder, it's a symbol of us being invited to the family of God through the sacrifice of Jesus, our brother, our savior. And so if that's you, in a moment I'll ask you to take this and break it open and, and, and we'll take together. But if that's not you, if you are not in the family of God or if you're unsure, it's as simple as this, admitting that you can't fix or change yourself. Admitting. That the change required in you to be the kind of person that God is inviting us to be requires power that you don't have. Admitting. It's believing that Jesus lived a perfect life and then took the penalty for all of our disobedience. Made things right, made right all my wrongs through his death. And then commit to listening to him, to following him, and to telling others about him. It's as easy as that, but it's as hard as the next step. As we all know, and you all know in recovery, it's as hard as the next step of saying tomorrow, I'll do the same, and tomorrow, I'll do the same. And so if that's you, in a moment, I'll ask you to take a, 